Did Jesus actually send out 70 followers? Or was this a symbolic number that Luke chose? We don't know for sure. I don't think the number is the main thing. However, it was the number of the elders chosen by Moses in leading the people during their time in the wilderness. The number probably did have a significant meaning to the Jewish people. Shortly after the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea and begun their trek into the wilderness, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to him and said, I've been watching you, and you're spending all your time attempting to settle all the spats and, and arguments between all the people. He said, that's not a good use of your time and energy. Jethro was not only a good observer, he was a wise man. He saw a problem that Moses didn't see because Moses was too close to the problem. That can happen sometimes. We can get so wrapped up in, a, in an issue that we fail to see the bigger picture. And sometimes God will send a, a wise voice to call this to our attention. I think fortunate is the man or woman who will listen to good advice and follow a thoughtful suggestion. Jethro suggested that Moses select elders from among the people who would deal with the daily issues of people. Moses was only to be involved when something specifically difficult arose. This was the beginning of the judges in the Old Testament, and it came as a suggestion from God through Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Later, God told Moses to, to look at this group of elders and find 70 men who had come together a support to Moses. And the reason for all this is an interesting story. After years of slavery in Egypt, God sent Moses to be their leader. And after the confrontation with Pharaoh and the numerous plagues, and finally the night when the angel of death passed over Egypt, leaving all the firstborn dead, that is with the exception of the Jewish people, who had followed God's instructions to place the land's blood on their doorposts. But after all that, the people were permitted to leave. I'm not going to go into that whole story because I suspect you all remember Charlton Heston and the people. You know what happened. But during their time in the Sinai Desert, God's people had a lot of growing up to do. Because of their lack of faith, tens of thousands of people died before God's chosen people were finally allowed to enter into their promised land. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that sin even forgiven sin as its ramifications. The 40 years that the people wandered in the wilderness was not so much God's punishment as it was the result of the people's lack of faith and their unwillingness to follow God's commandments. It instructed the people to go in and possess the land, but they'd been afraid and they refused. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all those who had been back to the 70 elders. During their time in the wilderness, God had provided the people with food and water, but after some time, the people began to grumble. God's people will do that. I suspect they sit around the campfires in the evening and someone said, do you remember back when we were in Egypt? Remember how we got all the meat that we could eat today? Oh, I miss that. Somewhere along the way, they forgot me. They've been fed fairly well because they've been forced to make bricks out of straw each day under the ruined sun. In the desert, God had provided them with a cloud shelter each day. And he provided them with manna to eat each day. And the Israelites, all they had to do was just follow God's directions and obey 
Ten Commandments, and they would have been marched directly to the Egypt and promised land. That didn't happen, did it? No, the Israelites were much different than many of us today. We'll acknowledge, at least with our lips, if not with our hearts, that all good things come from God. And that we owe our thanks and gratitude to it. But when push comes to shove, more often than not, we're bound and determined to do things our way. No matter what we have, we always want more. We've become a society of stuff. We just can't get enough stuff. People came to Moses. Moses went to the elders. And they came before God. I love the story. God said, the people want me to eat. I can do that. As I mentioned, God had been providing people with humanity from the very beginning. Every day, all they had to do was just go out and gather whatever they needed for that day. The only time they were instructed to gather more than a day's supply was in preparation for the Sabbath. Then they'd been instructed by God to go each day and gather what they needed. The interesting thing was if they ever, if they failed to, to gather enough someday, when they went out to prepare their meal, they always had enough. But if they gathered too much, whatever was left over spoiled immediately. God told the people what the rules were and he intended for them to be followed. God was attempting to teach the people a lesson. He still does that today. And some people learn. And some don't. <coughs> Moses went to God and said, the people are grumbling, as though God didn't already know. God said, gather the 70 men together who will prophesy to the people and tell the people that they're going to get their meat. Not just for a day or, or two days or, or five days or ten. They're going to have meat for a whole month. In the 11th chapter of the book of Numbers, God says they're going to have meat until it runs out their noses. That's pretty graphic. It shows us that God has a sense of humor, doesn't it? And it's kind of like God's answer to Samuel when the people began to complain years later about not having the king like all the other nations. Again, the people had begun to grumble. The neighboring countries all had a king, and, and Israel didn't have one, and they wanted to be like everyone else. That kind of thinking can get us in trouble every time. But Samuel prayed to God, and God said, Tell the people I'll give them a king. But they're not going to have to find happiness simply attempting to be like everyone else. I'm going to give them their king, but they're going to wish that they'd never asked. And those words proved to be true. The history of God's chosen people is one of sin and disobedience by the kings that ultimately led to the breakdown of the kingdom. God's chosen people split with one another. They formed two kingdoms, and that separation was never restored, all because the people wanted to be like everybody else. Is there a lesson there? If you've ever questioned the fact that sin and disobedience has ramifications, just look at the history of the Jewish people. Get back to my New Testament lesson. Moses had chosen 70 elders. The Sanhedrin, the, the Supreme Council of the Jewish people, were made up of 70 members. During the New Testament times, it was believed that there were 70 nations in the known world. 70 is one of those numbers that represents completeness. Many reasons why Luke tells us about Jesus sending out the 70 followers into the mission field. But he also goes with some, some link describing the task of those early missionaries. Jesus said in verse 4, greet no one on the road. Now Jesus was by no means 
instructed his disciples to be as courteous to those that they might meet along the way. But he was attempting to impress them with the importance of their mission. He was saying, don't turn aside and linger along the way on lesser things because you're spent being sent out on a great mission. And I suspect that he would have those same words for us here this morning. Don't get sidetracked with your life. Don't allow yourself to get so involved in things of the world that you forget what you're here on earth for. Does every dog know you that you're here for a reason? And that reason is to share the Christian faith with those around you. That really is the reason we're all here. All the other stuff is extra. Jesus said we're like lambs among the wolves. And unless we stay focused on the things that matter, most in life we'll be devoured by the world. Jesus told the 70 to, to go to a town or a village and find a home where they'd be welcome. He said, eat what's placed before you. But don't spend your time going from house to house looking for the best accommodations. Jesus said, the labor deserves to be paid. He said, I, I look after those who are doing my work. You'll have food to eat, you'll have a roof over your head, but don't worry about the stuff. Stuff's not important. The message of the good news is. What was that message? Jesus said, tell the people that the kingdom of God has come near to you. These were all the towns and the villages that Jesus anticipated visiting at a later date. In the 70s, they were like an advance party, if you would, sent out to prepare the way. Months before a Billy Graham revival was to take place, that an advance party would go into the city where the revival was to be held and begin to do the necessary groundwork to ensure that everything would go smoothly. Arrangements were made, meetings were scheduled with local clergy and churches, prayer meetings were organized, press conferences were called, and all this was done in advance of the arrival of the evangelistic team. That, that's a little bit like what's happening in this morning's lesson. Jesus told the 70, you're being given the responsibility of preparing the way. He said, if the people listen to you, it's like they listen to me. It's like they're listening to my father. That's a big responsibility. But it's the same responsibility that you and I have been given. And what happened when they returned? We don't know how long the 70 were gone. We can assume that it was a relatively brief time. But when they returned, they had wonderful stories to share with Jesus. I can imagine them arriving back where Jesus was a, a few at a time, maybe over a period of days, and each group would, would have a story to share with Jesus and the twelve. They were excited. Lord, we did what you told us to do, and wonderful things began to happen. People listened to what we had to say in your name. And Jesus had some interesting words for these men as they came back with their stories of success. First, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. And I believe that Jesus was saying this. I've listened to your stories. I can set you the beginning and the end of the powers of evil. As you've carried my message to the people, you've proved that that message can overcome evil. You know, the struggle that we face today in the world of sin is no different than the struggle that we're facing in the world of terrorism. We don't know if it'll ever be destroyed in our lifetime or not. But we must commit ourselves to doing all that we can to fight against it. Jesus, when he told the 70, it doesn't matter how long the final conquest may be delayed. What's important is that you prove that Satan can be defeated. Then almost immediately, Jesus issues a warning against pride. Jesus told the people, I've given you the opportunity. 
opportunity to tread on snakes and scorpions and the power of the enemy. And nothing can hurt you. That's a powerful statement. But that's exactly what Jesus had done when he sent the 70 out. And they returned testifying to their successes. But then Jesus said, nevertheless, don't rejoice in what you've accomplished. He said, you've been successful because you did as I instructed you. But don't strain your arms patting yourself on the back. Now, Satan was at one time the chief among all the angels. You know what caused him to fall from grace? You know what it was that caused him to be cast out of heaven? It was his pride. And Jesus said, don't get overly excited about your accomplishments. The battle's not over. It's just begun. And then Jesus said something that the 70, they needed to hear it, and we need to hear it this morning. He said, I've given you my power, and you've used it wisely. And you've been successful in making a dent in Satan's armor, but you need not celebrate his success, but rather the fact that your name is written in heaven. Your name is the of life. Our greatest glory here in mind is not what we may do for God during this short time on earth. Our, our greatest glory should be what God has done for us. The 14th chapter of Paul's letter to Galatians, he said, we heard just a moment ago, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood the message that Jesus had for the 70. Paul told the people in Galatia that the only important thing in life was acknowledging that through Christ's love and God's grace, they become new creatures. And if they never lost sight of that fact, they find themselves surrounded in God's peace and mercy. Folks, the message this morning is meant for you and me. Just as it was with those 70 that Jesus sent out, you and I are going to be called up to leave our homes and go far away to some distant, distant place with no money and no provisions, be missionaries. Although, thank God, there's still those that do that around the world today. No, we're called to share the good news with our friends and neighbors. Does the message sound familiar? Does it sound like something you've heard me say before? Years ago, there was an old country preacher that preached the same sermon Sunday after Sunday. And after a while, one of the deacons came to him and asked him, he said, Preacher, how long have you ever preached that sermon? You guessed it. He said, I'm going to keep preaching it until you folks begin to listen and do something about it. That's the interesting thing about the scriptures, especially the New Testament. We have a wide variety of accounts of Jesus' teaching. We have <coughs> letters from Paul in the New Testament churches. But through all of this, there's really only one message. And God placed that on my heart to keep preaching it to folks begin to listen. God has called each and every one of us to be his disciples. And while he's given us a free will to accept or reject that calling, there's no desire denying that what he wants from each of us is that we share the message of love and forgiveness and mercy and grace of the world. It's controlled. God promised to give all of us the tools we need to do. But he only has our hands and feet to get the job done. So if it's going to get done, you and I are going to have to be the doers of his word and not just hearers only. I don't know how to explain that message to me. Let me paint you a picture this morning. You arrive in heaven one day, and you become aware that a, that a relative that received you in there. You notice that a neighbor's not there. Old friends missing. Someone you used to work with can't be found either. 
respond when God asks you, why didn't you do something to share my love with those people? Are you afraid to share your faith because you didn't know how they might react? Didn't you know that you really are your brother's keeper? Did the sacrifice that, that God made mean so little that you can't take a moment out of your busy life to share your faith with someone else? Everyone here this morning knows of someone who could have been here with you today. We're all meant to be a missionary where we are. You may not need to go any further than the next door or across the street. Close this morning by asking five great questions. What is it at the center of your life? Whatever is the most important thing in your life is your God. It may be your family, it may be your home, your career, your hobbies. When God is the center of your life, you worship. When He's not, you worry. God's the center of your life, your life's at peace, and you know it. When He's not, you're not at peace. And you know that. What's the character of your life? God is far, far more interested in who you are than what you do. How are you responding to God's call to be a disciple? Are you a fan or a follower? What would be the contribution of your life? How do you see your ministry? How do you make a difference? Who is it that God has placed on your heart? Don't be discouraged. Even Jesus didn't meet the needs of everyone he encountered, but he still never stopped caring for others. Only the communication of your life. This is about talking the talk and walking the walk in your life. Because your life will support and validate the message that you communicate. Most folks that you come in contact will trust the Bible to be credible. What you need to know is that you're credible. And lastly, what's the community of your life? Where you find the strength to live out the life that you've chosen. I trust that you can find that support from those sitting right around you this morning. God has brought us all here together for one reason. We're meant to be a support to one another in our daily lives because we're all in this together. Questions of worship, discipleship, service, mission, fellowship. These are questions that deserve our attention. We be the person that God wants us to be. Think on those questions in the days to come because 